You're listening to a Brain Stew Fresh Fright Review. Welcome, all you blood-sucking freaks, to a brand new Brain Stew Fresh Frights Review. I'm your resident bloodsucker, Justin. I'm joined once again by my boy, Jeremy. What's up, dude? Yeah, hey, man. Come on, man. I'm with you, brother. Oh, I can't wait for this shit, dude. And on this episode, we'll be discussing the brand new psychological horror flick from David Bruckner, the Night House just came out last week in theaters, and uh, I hope you've seen it. If you haven't, I wouldn't say listen to these Fresh Fright reviews, because we're probably going to discuss the entire fucking movie. And if you haven't seen it, you don't want to be spoiled yet. But, Spoiler! Yeah, you don't. why would you do that? Don't do that to yourself. Go see the movie first, and then listen to this. And then get back to us and tell us how much you love or hate us for what we say about the movie. But, you know, before we get into the movie and all that hoopla, first off, just wanted to check in with you, dude. It's the beginning of spooky season. I got my fucking shipyard pumpkin head hard seltzer in hand. We both went Halloween hunting this weekend. What's up, man? How was your your weekend? Dude, it was great, man. We My Friday started off by going to Spirit Halloween Store with the family. Yes. Which is which is funny, man. You got to start them young, right? So, like, my daughter is, like, super into spooky stuff, man. She's uh, recently gone through all the Jaws movies, Deep Blue Sea. So, she's on, like, a shark kick right now. But she has Gremlins 1 and 2 on her iPad. Probably the only five-year-old that their favorite movie is Gremlins. And she has it accessible to her at all times. So, she, growing up with, with me as her pop, you know... She, she's used to being around spooky stuff. You know, my whole basement is filled with life-size horror movie statues of Freddy, Jason, Michael, Pinhead, and the list goes on and on and on. I've got critters, gremlins, all that good stuff. She loves spooky stuff because she's grown up with it, right? So we, uh, we picked her up uh, from daycare on Friday, me and my wife, and once she got in the car, we were like, guess where we're going? We're going to Spirit Halloween. She freaked out. She was like, yes! Can you imagine? Can you imagine that feeling of excitement she must have felt at that moment? Dude, she was, she was so pumped. So we get in there and like she's, you know, most kids are scared of the animatronics. She's running over there. She's jumping on the, you know, their little target things where they start moving and making noise. She's laughing. She's picking up all these things that she wants us to buy. And I'm like, dude, this is, she's just like I was at that age, man. She loves, she loves spooky. She loves monsters. So that was, that was really cool, man. That was definitely one of the highlights of the weekend. And of course I, I picked up some. Some nice new memorabilia for the uh, for the man cave. Picked up some things for my kid too, of course. But uh, did you did you grab anything? You didn't text me back. I asked you. Oh, like, sorry, what did dude. You get? Well, well, what happened was is see, and, and Daniel almost ripped my balls off for this. Is I had one too many drinks at dinner, and by the time we got to Spirit, I got out of the car, dude, and I literally went woo. And the guy <laughs> turned to me. Literally, guy turned to me, getting into his truck, and he's like, "Bro, we're closed." And the stare of death from Danielle, I swear to God. But luckily, there was something else she wanted. She wanted to get the Oogie Boogie Nightmare Before Christmas blow mold from Lowe's. 
So we went and we found that motherfucker. But we did go to Spirit the following day. And I picked up the the Michael Byers Halloween sex blow mold with him, you know, holding the knife into the pumpkin. I picked that up too, yeah. She got like actually a shit ton of stuff. She got the Sam for from Trick or Treat pillow. Oh. Actually, we bought two of those and actually a bunch of stuff that I don't even really remember. There was like a whole bag full of like masks and shit, like the, all those vintage masks. Yeah. She bought like the Frankenstein and the clown. She's going to put them up as decoration. Like, like we actually have room for that shit, but I've been twice, bro. I went again today just for shits and giggles because I have nothing else better to do. But yeah, man, like it's so amazing. This is my favorite time of year. And especially for all of you horror fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. You get your blood boiling. Like you just smell pumpkin and fall leaves. And you're like, ah, oh, just give it to me all right now. Even though it's still like 95 fucking degrees right now. And it's still August, but whatever. Let me have it. But you know, it's fucking great, man. I'm super excited. And we're going to be here talking about a movie tonight. This is so exciting, dude, that we're doing this new thing, this brain stew thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped about it. And, you know, a bunch of my horror movie nerd friends, they've been checking the show out and they really dig it and they're excited about it. So it's, it's cool to be finally doing this and discussing the genre that I've, I've loved my whole life. That you've loved and you've lived and you've uh, slept I, with and oh, absolutely. bathed in and drank absolutely. and everything. Yeah, so. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this movie. That they haven't really like overly advertised this movie. I didn't know anything about it until you were like, "Dude, Nighthouse blew me away," and I was like, "What is that?" And I like mm, David. Yeah, I like David Bruckner, man. Rituals was was amazing, dude. So once you told me about it, I was like, "All right, let me see if they're even playing this thing around me." So I went specifically to see because a, I'm a David Bruckner fan. B, like you know, I wanted to talk about this this brand new movie with you. So I'm I'm, yeah. I'm pumped, man. And that's that's one thing we're going to do, ladies and gents, all you freaks out there. We're going to definitely be, you know, doing the retrospectives, the older stuff. But we want to be covering the new shit for you as well. We want to be right there with it, you know, especially, you know, the fact that we get early access to a lot of these movies, you know, advanced screenings. You know, you know, we're doing a sponsored screening of the new Candyman next week. Unfortunately, I can't make it, but Jeremy will be there. So, oh, I'm gonna uh, be, I'm gonna be all up in that Candyman. Make sure to check the Epic Film guys, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter because we give out passes, free passes to see these movies early. So make sure to check that out. But before we go any further, I did want to take the time, Jeremy, to thank those that have reached out and given us, you know, feedback that have listened to the the first, you know, the pilot episode, Escape from L.A. We're gonna be doing those trash it or treasure it graphics after, you know, a couple days after the reviews to kind of give you guys the opportunity to tell us what you think and, and, and your opinions and stuff. I was obviously the minority in that one based on all the the comments I saw in the graphic, but thank you so much for you know just reaching out and letting us know what you think and for listening. But before we go any further, we're gonna hear a quick promo clip from our sponsor, Evil T. And when we come back, we're going to hear some stories from Jeremy. The Brain Stew Podcast is fueled by our sponsor, Evil Tea, by the Evil Tea Company. Steeped in darkness, Evil Tea brings a sharp and spooky variety of tea flavors, featuring robust and creative blends for all those tea monsters out there. Use promo code BRAINSTEW for 15% off your first order. Check out their website at EvilTeaCompany.com to find the right blend for you.
All right, we are back. Jeremy, you got some stories, man, that have to do, that are attached to this movie in some way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so for those of you listening that, that don't know anything about me, I'm a massive horror movie fan. I have been my whole life. I've been going to autograph events and premieres and all these different horror events for, you know, over the past 16 years. So I've kind of, you know, some people collect baseball cards. I collect autographs and the stories in getting these autographs. Um, so yeah, a lot of these movies that we're going to be talking about, I've, I've met key people that are involved in, in these movies. So kind of an interesting tidbit, you know, typically when people find out what I do as a hobby, they, they have the questions, right? They're like, you know, who have you met? Oh my God. Okay. Like who was the best? Who was the worst? Uh, the worst is Stephen King, by the way, but uh, I'm just so- waiting dude. <laughs> by the way, by the fucking way, I'm just waiting until we get to do a movie about Anything in regarding Stephen King, just so you can tell that story. But don't spoil it yet. But listeners, remember yeah. that because when we get there, it's gonna be heavy, bro. It's gonna be so. So David Bruckner, right? We're we're uh, doing the Night House. I met David Bruckner in 2019, and when I met him, he was introduced to me from Greg Nicotero, just as David. Hey, this is this is David. He's a he's a great filmmaker, and he's going to be working on the Creep Show TV show with us. Creep Show, the television series, had not come out yet, right? So, backstory: I was at a at a convention, and two of my best friends on the planet is is Aaron Crawford, who owns and operates Cavity Colors Clothing Company, and Devin Whitehead, who is the premier artist for Cavity Colors, two of my best friends. So I was with them all weekend long. You know, typically I was behind the table with them, you know, as they were selling merch. And unannounced, because we're in Atlanta, Greg Nicotero walks up to the table. He wasn't even scheduled to be at that convention. The Walking, wow. Yeah, the, the Walking Dead films in Atlanta. So it was local to where he was. And he was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to go to this convention for the weekend or whatever. Greg Nicotero is, is a friend of, of Devin and Aaron's at Cavity Color. So he walked up and was just shooting the shit with them. So I'm like, this is this is so weird, man. Like, there's Greg Nicotero, like, <laughs> like just hanging out. This is this is awesome. So I had I had met Greg previously. So I just said, you know, hey, Greg, how's it going? You know, he didn't know me or like remember me. But, you know, Devin and them were like, oh, yeah, this is our friend Jeremy. And he was like, oh, hey. So, you know, he was talking about the new Creep Show television series and that's when he says, hey, you know, this is this is my buddy David. He's a great filmmaker. He's he's going to do, you know, some stuff for Creepshow. So I've learned in these situations, even if you don't know somebody, if they're working on something that you may potentially like, at least ask for a picture. Like, so as, you know, David and, and Nick Tarot were hanging out at the Cavity Colors booth, I just said, I said, hey, David, I said, look, man, I, I'm already a huge Creepshow fan, and I know for a fact that when the show comes out, I'm going to love it, and... I'm going to regret this moment if I don't get a picture with you because I'm sure whatever episode you do is going to be awesome. I was like, can I get a picture with you? So he goes, yeah, of course. So I get a picture with him and I'm like, cool, you know, I can't wait for this new show. So probably about three or four days later, I'm like, you know, I wonder what that dude's name is. So I'm looking up the creep show TV show on IMDb trying to find out who the directors are and boom, David Bruckner. And then I, you know, I click on his picture and I was like, holy fuck fuck then you realized who it was yeah i was like that was david (laughs) bruckner i I didn't know what he looked like man you know i had seen obviously you know the vhs movie that he had been a part of and i had you know seen ritual but i i I had never googled what the fuck the guy looked like so i didn't know man so so i was like dude holy shit i got a picture with david bruckner that's 
that's pretty rad. So that was that was my connection for this movie um, to a you know a celebrity story is that I, I've met David Bruckner. If if you've got a second, I'd like I'd like to tell you some more interesting things that happened from that same show. Sure, fucking go for it, man. That's dude. what the segment's for, dude. So the audience yes. needs to hear it. They need to hear it. So so real quick, it, that weekend was really memorable for me. My buddy Brian runs an autograph consignment company, Outer Haven Signature Service, and he was like, hey, you know, Clive Barker's here. And I was like, yeah, dude, I, I can't wait to meet him. Because it was 2019, and to that point, I had never met Clive Barker. So I was already, like, mega stoked. Like, holy shit, this guy's made so many things that I love. I finally get to meet him. That's amazing. And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm doing a private autograph signing with him. Do you want to help? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, cool. Well, we have to go right now. We have to go up to his hotel room. And I was like, hold up. We get to go to Clive Barker's hotel room? He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So we go up there. Door opens. And literally me and Brian, it, we walk in. Clive is sitting on the end of the bed watching like Golden Girls or some or Seinfeld or some shit. Like some old sitcom. Like not paying attention to us. So uh, Clive's manager, Chris, was in the room. So he, he invites us in. He was like, yeah, guys, go ahead and get set up. So... I'm like in there and I'm helping set posters and things up, but I'm looking over and, and Clive Barker's watching fucking Seinfeld, like on the edge of his bed. <laughs> I was dude. like, I was like, dude, I, I'm in. Can you imagine that? Like, when you, when you think of his body of work, like Clive Barker, you, I, I imagine him in like a throne in a dark room, yeah. and sitting in shadow with a cigar. Just, you just know, not with not with raw head, with raw head Rex on repeat yeah, in the background. Right, right, dude. So yeah, he's like on on the edge of the bed watching Seinfeld or some like sitcom of that of that time. And I'm like, holy shit! Like that guy's a living legend right there, and he's just sitting there watching a sitcom. So finally, like he happened to look over as I was setting some posters up and was like, oh, oh, hello, how are you? And I was like, hi, hi, Mr. Barker. Like I'm I'm a big fan. Nice to meet you. Oh, it's nice to meet you as well. And so we you know we set up all the posters and I mean. He was, he signed everything like he was doing some sketches and, you know, I spent a good like probably 35, 40 minutes with him as he was signing all these items and he was funny making jokes. I got to get pictures with him in his hotel room like it was a definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity that I'm I'm forever grateful to, to Brian for including me in that. But that's probably not the most interesting story of the weekend. And, you know, sometimes in autographing. You deal with shady people. You know, that's like any line of business, right? There's always going to be somebody who's who's going to try to make uh, a quick buck and try to rip people off. So this harps back to Greg Nicotero, right? So Nicotero is, is amazing. He's the nicest, most fan-friendly guy. Like, he doesn't want your money. Like, I'll sign an autograph for you for free. I mean, like, dude, all of his body of work, and he just did a convention a couple months ago um, in Pennsylvania, and he was literally charging $20. Like... That's unheard of. Dude. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really is. He could be charging, you know, $100 and people would pay. And he's like, dude, I really don't want to charge people. But like, you know, his time is money. But 20 bucks an hour, you know, he feels like he or 20 bucks an item. You know, he's feeling like he's getting something. The fans are like, wow, this is fucking cheap. This is great. So he's walking around the convention. I want to repeat that he was not a guest of the convention. He was a fan. He purchased a ticket to get in. Okay. So Ashley Lawrence from Hellraiser was there right so greg and ashley know each other so he walks over to to ashley and he's having a conversation with ashley and he sits down in a chair next to her right so ashley is signing autographs and greg's just hanging out so 
Devin had this amazing Evil Dead print that he did, and I was like, oh, fuck, it'd be really cool to get Greg to sign this. So I grab that off the Cavity Colors booth, and I go over to Greg, and, like, I don't even, like, approach him. Like, I'm standing off to the side, and finally him and him and Ashley, they stop talking, and Ashley goes to start signing for a fan, and Greg, you know, has a moment where he's not doing anything because she's getting paid to sign an autograph. She's signing an autograph. He looks over at me, and I hold the poster up, and I motion, like, will you sign this? And he goes... Emotions with his hand, like, yeah, 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 come over, come over. So I go over, and I'm like, cool. So some backstory for you is whoever Ashley Lawrence's handler is, I've been told it's her boyfriend. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. All I know is that he's a nightmare to deal with. Like, just absolute nightmare to deal with. When you're getting her autograph, like, he'll, like, pretty much literally swat your cell phone out of your hand if you try to take a picture of her signing. And he's like, if you take that picture, you have to pay me. It's like, well, I just want to get a picture of her signing my item. Nope. Don't do it. So, he's already a prick, right? So, I walk over. Again, Nicotero is not a guest of the convention. He goes to sign the autograph for me. And I'm like, Greg, dude, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. He's like, yeah, man, no problem. Enjoy your weekend. I start walking away from the autograph table. And Ashley Lawrence's manager walks over to me and goes, Hey, man, that's going to be 60 bucks. And I was like, wait a minute, really? Yeah, yeah. And what? I said, I thought for a second he was confused and thought that I got Ashley. So I, I showed him my item. I was like, nah, dude, I, I got Nicotero. He goes, yeah, that's, that's going to be $60. And first of all, I know that that fucking asshole is not Greg Nicotero's manager. He has nothing business related to do with Nicotero. The, th- the worst part is, is that before I walked up, he probably got a couple people with that shit, right? Because people, they don't want a problem. They don't want, you know, any 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 drama or anything. So people might quietly just be like, oh, oh here, here you go. But it was not my first time around the block, right? So That's not how Jeremy rolls, baby. That is, that's not how I roll, man. So I, I, I said, hold up. So you're trying to charge me 60 for Nicotero? And he was like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, first of all, you don't fucking even rep him. I said, I'm pretty sure Sean Clark reps him for appearances. You don't fucking look like Sean Clark, man. And I, I started, I started raising my voice. I started raising my voice, and he was like, "Okay, man. Okay, okay, okay. Have a good day. Have a good day." Because he knew that the louder I got, it was gonna alert Nicotero that more people. And then, yeah, dude, he was gonna notice. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, see, you never fuck with people because you don't know who they are or who they know, right? So what do I do? I immediately get on my phone. I hit up Sean Clark and I'm like, hey, man, don't you rep Nicotero? And he hits me back and is like, yeah, you know, I, I do some of his public appearances stuff when he wants to do them. And I said, well, just to let you know, this is what happens. And I told him the whole situation. Dude, he immediately messages Nicotero. Nicotero was afraid that I actually paid because I guess Sean didn't tell him I didn't pay. Dude, Nicotero messages Sean back. Sean sent me the screenshot that was like, hey, get his PayPal, and like, I'm going to send him money right now. Cause that's No fucked, fucking way, cause dude. that's fucked up. And I was like, yeah, so I had to explain, like, nah, man, like, I, I, I didn't pay because I fucking knew better. But, yeah, dude, shady people out there, man, so you got to be careful. So, especially with that guy. So, you know, and not to mention I heard that that same guy tries to, like, sell, like, replica items as screen use props. So... Be careful with that, too. But yeah, Open so. a can of worms on that motherfucker. Yeah, but yeah so, dude, that's some nutty shit right there, man. Yeah, so that's I met David Bruckner. I got to hang out in Clive Barker's hotel room, and 
Ashley Lawrence's manager tried to charge me for a Greg Nicotero autograph. So yep. what a fucking weekend. Her manager's a piece of shit, but you probably don't remember this, but I was on the receiving end of that Clive Barker hotel room thing. I remember getting a random fucking photo just sent to me from you. No caption, nothing. And I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Because that, that's, that's how you roll as well, though, too. Sometimes you don't even say anything about, you know, what you're doing, where you're at, what's going on. I'll just get a random photo, and it's like, you motherfucker. He did it again. And ladies and gentlemen, the more you listen to this segment on this shit, like, you're, you're going to be shocked and in awe and also extremely jealous, like I am, every single time he tells me something. But, hey, dude. We, we've had some adventures, man. We have, we have, and we'll, we'll get to those yeah. when the time is right, depending on the subject. But yeah, man, so that's it for Jeremy's adventure story here on this episode. And when we get back, right in a few minutes here, we're going to jump into our review of The Night House. Stick around. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment. And we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. All right, dude. Here we are. Ready to jump right in into the nitty gritty on this review. So much like you said earlier on that you were slightly unaware or actually fully unaware that this movie was even a thing that it even existed. The first time I found out about it was at Alamo Draft House. I think when I was seeing fuck what movies I've been watching, I think Godzilla versus Kong or something oh, like shit. that. And, and they played the trailer and I'm not going to lie. You know, the trailer to me looked like it was trying to be a little bit like A24-ish with, with the, the way the film looked and the style and the way the trailer was presented. And I was like, oh, someone saw, you know, the Invisible Man movie and wanted to do something <laughs> like it. But I was I, I can't say enough how extremely wrong I was in that mindset after watching this movie. So this movie follows a character named Beth, played by Rebecca Hall, who has just lost her late husband, Owen, to suicide. He took a boat out from their lake house where they live, and he shot himself with a gun that Beth didn't know he even owned. She's devastated by his death, and she spends her nights drinking and going through his belongings until she starts to dig deeper, way too deep, into some really serious dark shit. And that's when, as we always say on this show, shit hits the fan and hijinks ensue, and this movie goes nutty. So I got to throw it to you, man, on, you know, because... You came into this completely fresh. You didn't even really know this was a thing at all. What were your first impressions on this movie? So, when it started, I it, it was hitting all the cues for me, man. Like it, I, I love a great slow burn horror film. You know, a la Rosemary's Baby, even Halloween. Like I love a slow burn, slow build horror film. So even from the very beginning of the movie, with the first shot, it kind of sets up an unsettling 
feeling that you know that you're you're going to be in for something that is going to be potentially disturbing. I, I think for the the first maybe half of the movie, I was I was genuinely trying to figure out like, okay, is this a ghost movie? Like, is this a haunting thing? Is this a demonic thing? I didn't know what I didn't know what this movie was, and that really intrigued me because I was. Like I said, I, I had avoided the trailers and everything going into this. The acting was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And, and you know, one thing that I'm really starting to notice in horror movies, Justin, is there is, uh, I, I would almost start to call it a new subgenre called grief horror, right? Because, like, there, there's been a lot of grief-driven horror movies that have come out. And, you know, when, when you're dealing with characters that are suffering tremendous loss and grief, you know, adding in another layer of, of horrific events man it's it just it just sets up for for an experience right so you know obviously there was hereditary you know with with tony collette's daughter in the film you know her character dealing with the loss of her daughter and then there was midsummer right the ari aster flicks you know the the lead florence Pugh, her character was dealing with the loss of her sister and her parents so then you have this movie and it's this this character played by rebecca hall is dealing with the tremendous loss of her husband and she starts to, like you said, she starts to uncover things about him that she didn't know. I, I, I could not tell where this thing was going. And, and by the time it got to the third act, I'm not going to jump ahead and, and give all that away. But I, I was still left a little confused. Maybe not confused, but I would say, would you agree it's a little open-ended, your interpretation? Oh, it definitely. It's ambiguous, for sure. The ending is ambiguous. A lot of what the movie presents to the audience is left up to the viewer's own expectations and their own internalizing and kind of trying to figure out in their own head what they're seeing. And I love that about the movie. There's a, there's a mystery to it. And I love exactly what you said. It's keeping you guessing. And this is kind of like my first takeaway, like halfway through this movie is like grief, loss and paranoia kind of wrapped all up into one bundle within the bounds and framework of a good old classic haunted house flick. And I love that they're taking that kind of framework, those old movies. Like, if, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Just do it well. And we we know that Bruckner is a talent. Like you had said earlier, I loved the ritual as well. I was extremely uh, impressed by his work in that, in terms of the atmosphere, the visual look to it, and it, it had a class to it. And this movie tops that in every possible way. I mean, I guess the one thing we need to get out of the way and I'm going to just say this needs to happen. Rebecca Hall needs to be stamped in the horror fucking performance record books as one of the best female performances of all time. Yes. In there with Tony Collette from hereditary in there with Jamie Lee from Halloween, like literally like this needs to be a thing, dude. I'm so sick and tired of horror movies getting the shaft now, I know, you know, someone that follows the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, we don't expect these movies to get recognized, but I'm fucking sick of it, dude. Like, she gives a fucking tour to force yeah. performance in this movie. Like, imagine what she had to go through to experience everything this character Beth experiences. It's so fucking real, dude, and so uncomfortable that, like, that's what I felt through this whole movie. That, and on top of it, the movie's trying to scare you as well, so it's like... What could be more unnerving yeah. than that? I mean, there's there's existential dread literally just layered all over this entire thing from start to finish. Like, it never lets up from no. the first frame until the end. So, dude, like, I, my wife went with me and literally, I mean, dude, 
a good portion of the film, she had her face buried in her hands, and she, at one point she whispered to me, we're only seeing Pixar and, <laughs> and Disney movies from now dude. on. Like, dude, she That's was... amazing, dude. She was, she was terrified, and like, dude... The, I mean, just the the setup and the build up was was phenomenal, and you could tell that it it was building to something. And you know, I know we're gonna get into it, but you know, whether you enjoy the the build up and the payoff is is to be seen. And I and I, I look forward to discussing that aspect. Yeah, very you. true, very true. I mean, that's the one thing that I've seen. I mean, unfortunately. I'm noticing that some of my fellow critics here and there, they're discussing the movie, but it should be getting a lot more discussed. And that's the one thing that I said the minute I left the fucking theater is don't sleep on this movie. Everyone should see it, whether oh, yeah. you love horror or not. It's definitely one for the ages. I think, it, you know, it's it's made its budget back already. I think it was shot for a little under $3 million in the first weekend. It made like 2.9 or something. Sweet. So that's great news, especially considering that, things are kind of going backwards in terms of people being comfortable being out in large groups and sitting in a room together, breathing the same air. But um, that is great news. But yeah, dude, I mean, the movie builds at a slow pace. And I love that you mentioned Rosemary's Baby because I felt like that same kind of old school classic feel to this movie as you would from those movies. And when you look at like an Ari Aster literally there's parallels here in terms of like that kind of movie that these young filmmakers are trying to make. It's not what I used to call the jump scare craze movies that I I was starting to hate there for a while. Now, some of them I still do like this movie has jump scares though. Oh dude, there's one. They're phenomenal. There's, there's one that literally nailed me so fucking hard, dude. And not only nailed me, but I had goosebumps all over because I was so fucking happy that a filmmaker was able to actually make me feel something like that. Like when I when I get any kind of emotion, whether I'm fucking scared or excited or sad, and I feel that kind of emotion, especially in a horror movie, and I felt all of those things in this movie, dude. It had the total package. I'm like, that's why I walked away astounded by what I had seen. So as we go through the movie, so not to like, speak the movie to you, ladies and gentlemen. But so Beth is trying to deal with this loss. Her husband mysteriously kills himself with this gun that she didn't know he had. She goes back to work. She's a teacher at a high school and she's just trying to like do what a lot of people do. They, they, they try to internalize the pain, the grief, the sadness. And they're like, I'm just going to keep living on with my life. I'm just going to keep pushing forward because that's what's normal. And a lot of people don't really know what else to do. It appears that she's kind of alone as well. She's got friends in town, but it doesn't look like she has any immediate family like a sister or like a mother or, you know, anything like that to kind of console her and be with her during that time. So she's like, fuck it. I'm just going to go back to school and start working. And one of the most powerful scenes for me, Jeremy, is when a mother of one of her students come in, comes into her, her classroom and is discussing a speech class that her son was given, I think, a D for or something like that. It was a C. He, okay, I see. There you go. <laughs> look at look at that fucking memory. It's fresh, and, man. And, uh, well, yeah, because you saw it today. I saw yeah. it all the way back on Tuesday. But, and she's, like, being, like, almost a Karen about it. Like, oh, well, you know, he said that he... Hunter was his name. Hunter said he came in and made it up on Thursday. She's like, oh, well, I was out Thursday. And she's like, oh, well, we all have things happen. And then she's like, she says in the most deadpan fucking serious face, there's like no score to the scene. You see 
her fucking face, like, her eyes are so intense, and she's just like, my husband killed himself in a boat, and he's dead. And, like, you know, not verbatim, but that moment hit so fucking hard. Our theater was, like, so dead silent, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, this... Then I realized what kind of movie I was watching, like, this shit hit hard, man. Yeah, it, uh, dude, that scene, she was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you know, I was out for personal reasons, and the mom was like, well, we all have personal reasons. Yeah. Like, he was there to give you the project, and you weren't there, and she goes, okay, well, I'll give you a B. And she was like, well, that's not what I want, and she goes, okay, well, then what do you want? She was like, well, I mean, you said that you had something personal happen. We all have personal things that happen. Like, it's not his fault that you weren't there, and that's when she said yeah. what, what you said is that, well... My husband took a gun, and he was in a boat, and he blew his head off. He yeah. killed himself on Bro, Thursday. Dude. Dude. So then the best part is that the mom was like, uh, I'm I'm sorry. You don't have to do a B. And she goes, oh, okay. You want an A? An a? I'll give him an A. Dude, <laughs> dude. It was so – it was that awkward that awkward moment. Dude, the uncomfortable laughter yeah. from the audience, though, after that, it, it, it kind of lightens it a little bit, but not really because you're sitting there thinking about – what that conversation must be like. And you're like, Oh my God, dude, this shit is so heavy. I wouldn't even know how to deal with that, but it's crazy. So from there, obviously this character is not handling this. Well, it's a very realistically portrayed character. She's like at home alone, not being able to handle this. And her friends, her coworkers like, well, go come out with us. A bunch of other teachers. We're going to basically go get hammered on fucking Friday night or whatever. Because that's a thing that teachers do, apparently. I mean, they're people too, though, right? Right. You know? They're going to go get wasted and try to get laid and shit. But And then this is where it leads to one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Her friend, like, kind of, you know, she's consoling her. Beth is hammered. She's, like, completely wasted. Can we just say real quick that her best friend in the movie is a blonde that looks like a perfect mixture of Kristen Bell meets Danielle Harris. Like, put the two together. Wow. Put the two together, and that's what the, you exactly... Really just, you really just saw that, and now I'm like I'm seeing that imagery, that visual in my head, Dude. and I can't believe I didn't see it before. Kristen Bell and Daniel Harris mixed together as this chick. I'm not mad at that, but go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. No, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's crazy. Now, the whole rest of this fucking review, and I'm going to go back to watch that movie again and be like, oh, shit, dude. <laughs> wow. But, no, so this scene is, I think... This is where I was, like, amazed. That's where I got the goosebumps, those chills. Because it presents one of the best timed jump scares I've ever seen in a horror movie. I swear to God. Like, this is not me going over the top, just loving this movie. Her friend's consoling her. And she wakes up from a drunken slumber. Her friend's not there. And the fucking sound that you hear is so intense in this scene, it, it literally, if you were sleeping during the movie, you would have jumped out of your fucking seat, man. It was so insane, that oh, jump sure. scare. Like, I, I, after that happened, dude, I was on the edge of my seat for the rest of the movie, just waiting and wondering what else they were going to hit me with. Yeah, it was, uh, that was definitely the first, the first time in the movie that it was just like, oh my fucking God. Okay, well, there, there's that. I'm awake. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. It kind of like, moments like that kind of bring you back to like, when Paranormal Activity, the first one, came out. And, and it hits you with that, it's the nighttime, and the mood and the setting is right. And then the sound engineering is what really... Oh, dude, yeah. That was so precise. It, like, hit the perfect fucking moment, dude. 
yeah, it was it was great. And 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 I think another thing about this scene that's important is that we learn that Beth is the one that's been suffering from depression even prior to this happening, and that you know. Owen had no problems at all, that he was a happy guy. Everything seemed great. It seemed like their sex life was perfect, apparently, based on some of the dialogue, you know? You know, so it's like she admits that she had died once and was brought back to life from a car accident. And you're kind of getting trying to get to understand, you know, and, and kind of dig into this character's brain and understand where she's coming from. And that her husband was always there to disagree with that depression and try to keep her happy. And, and he was always the one that like kind of championed her and everything like that. And here from then, it, we start getting these images of her being awakened by what we would consider a supernatural presence. And sure. she's, you know, being frightened by what she's seeing, like random women fleeing through the woods. And she goes out, you know, out to investigate and she finds I, blood on the boat and on the dock where I, and I she's think starting to see shit. I think it's... In- you know, it, we have to we have to mention when she when she tells the story about how you know she she died in a car accident and she was resuscitated back to life. She was dead for four minutes, and you know she she admits in the film that when that happened there was nothing. She goes, you know, when you die there's just nothing. She goes, you know, when people would ask me like, well, when you were dead for four minutes, like, what did you see? What was there? And she was like, you know, I stated that. I just don't remember. She goes, but I don't do remember. remember. Yeah. She goes, I do remember. And there was nothing. Right. So that's an important element because that comes back in the finale of the film. That's right. Um, yeah. So continue. my. Friend. Yeah. So no. Yeah. No, it's like, but not that we have to go step by step through the whole thing, but I mean like the movie from there only continues to build heavier and heavier and heavier. And she starts to kind of unravel some things. This is where the paranoia comes in because not only does she feel like she's being watched and she's being haunted per se, but she sees across the lake, these strange set of lights, which she had never noticed before. And this is some of the most interesting imagery in, in my view of the film. Now there's one thing I wanted to mention because I'm from upstate New York. I mean, I've been a Virginia, I've lived in Virginia for six years now, but I knew that I knew these areas where they shot because it looked so familiar. It looked like back home to me. And I looked it up and it's actually Syracuse and the oh, Finger no Lakes. And, and and they shot on the Finger Lake near Skinny Atlas, which is where Daniel's best friend actually got married. We were at the wedding and shit. So you know where the hell I'm going to go next time I go back home. I'm going to go find that fucking house and check oh, heck it yeah. out. But it, it had that it, it, it felt like it because they, you know, they showed Utica and I lived in Utica at one point. They showed that. It was up in that area, but it was also very strange, you know, before we get to that second house, how you don't see any other houses, really. You know that she has the neighbor next door who was like a real nice guy, was checking in on her and stuff, but you only see the visual from the outside of her house and the inside of the house, which was a set, but you never actually see like any other neighbors or anything. So that whole like loneliness that whole where she's like literally by herself she's stuck out in the middle of nowhere they really show that visually in every possible way they can like having her out in the middle of nowhere when she sees that other house across the lake those are the only lights that she's ever seen over there so it even adds to how kind of secluded it is where that sure she lives you know dude when when the shit starts to build and you know, it was the morning after that big jump scare when she goes down to the dock 
you know, at her house, and there's the muddy boot prints. Like that. Yeah. I just, I man, I loved, I loved that imagery because that's so creepy. Like, because it looked like, okay, like these footprints are leading out of the water. Like, whoever made these footprints, like, came out of the water, either out of the boat or out of the water. So, like, I just, I, I thought. That's when I knew, like, all right, we're going to get a really creepy movie, man. I loved that. Yeah. I mean, and then we get her, like, she's like a fucking trooper, man. She's like, I've I've never seen a character, like, so dead set on, like, I'm going to go find this shit. So she goes over on the opposite side of the lake, and she sees her neighbor, who's, like, really concerned for her well-being. And he's like, come over for lunch or whatever. And she finds this, what it looks like is a house that's, not even a quarter way built. There's just like a structure and there's tarps and shit, which is definitely one of the spookiest scenes in the entire movie. Cause you don't even know what to expect. If you, if you go into this movie completely cold, even if you've never seen the trailer or anything, you don't even really know what this is, Sure, you know? And then she, she sees this strange statue with all these nails and shit through it. That looks like it basically looks like it's getting fucked or something. Yeah, I don't know. Fucking, fucked up doll. <laughs> well, what's crazy yeah. about, about the house though, is that, she immediately recognizes that yeah. it's, it's built as a replica to her house yeah. because, uh, you know, the movie lets you know that the house that her and her husband live in was built by him. He built the house. He designed the house and he built the house. So now all of a sudden she discovers this strange house across the lake that is literally a mirror image of her house floor plan wise. And can you imagine? Can you imagine, though, because she finds out what this is. After she goes to that lunch and <laughs> dude, her poor neighbor, Mel, who like, I guess, held a secret for a dude. I guess you shouldn't do that. Like, literally, right. you shouldn't do that. There, here's the lesson here. You know, go tell go tell the chick. Seriously, go tell her that you had seen her husband in a bad way, as he said it, out in the middle of the night going over there. And he caught him over there with a woman that looks just like you. But wasn't and he's you, just, yeah. And, he, and he's just telling her now after he's dead, you know? I mean, he did it in a very legitimate, very down-to-earth, kind of, like, relatable way where he's try- really trying to be as comforting as possible. Like, I can imagine her, like, actually wanting to punch the fucking shit out of him for not telling her, you know? But all it does is lead her deeper, darker into that rabbit hole, going back home. And then she finds photos. She's looking at his phone. And then she finds more photos on his computer. Yeah. And dude, when that start started to happen, as you were saying earlier, I was sitting there like amazed, like, whoa, dude, this shit is getting opened up so wide. I have like literally it, there's no way to understand like where this movie is going to go. Like how far is it going to go sure. now? You know, what, you, you know, know, another movie that I feel like it kind of the tone. I'm not going to say that there there there's definitely some similarities. I'll say that is uh, What Lies Beneath. Like, okay. certain certain parallels with that old-school Harrison Ford movie, M- Michelle Pfeiffer. Dude, Michelle Pfeiffer? You know what's weird, man? I only w- watched that movie for the first time last summer, and oh, I no fucking shit. loved it, It's dude. a great movie, Very man. similar, very similar. Yeah, yeah, her trying to uncover everything, and yeah, dude, it's a so, great thriller, so, for sure. So I definitely was, was catching those What Lies Beneath vibes while watching this movie. Interesting. You know what? I guarantee you that not many people would recognize that, yeah. but that movie's finally getting a Blu-ray release soon. Oh, so that, that that's awesome. Cause I didn't even, the wife Danielle was like last summer, she was like, 
Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? It's a spooky they movie. A, they did a thriller together and spooky. it's good. Yeah. Are you serious? How did I not know? So that's, it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought up that as a comparison. Cause I can definitely see that dude. So from here on out, you know, I don't think we need to go step by step, beat by sure. beat or anything like that. But you know, so shit just starts getting bigger and, and, and worse and crazy. And she finds out where he bought one of the books and she finds this book that has a lot of strange, interesting terminology in it. It looks like a spell book. Some cult shit. For, yeah, some cult shit. For basically how I understood it, like trying to keep yourself centered from not fucking killing someone. Like that's how, basically what I was reading from that, you know, like trying to keep the evil away, you know. So then this leads her to this bookstore and she sees the girl the main girl that she finds the photos of and she confronts her another extremely uncomfortable scene. Like dude, Rebecca Hall yeah. is a fucking badass in this movie. She was a powerhouse straight up, film. dude. Yeah. Absolute the way she confronts house. her and, and she's like, can you take your hair down? Why? And she's just like, <laughs> you slept with my husband. I think I can ask you to, you know, it's the way that she approached it. I was like, yeah. Whoa, dude. Yeah. It was awesome. Fuck me, man. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and then the girl, even she comes to her house randomly and they discuss what happened. And we now we're finally starting to understand what her husband was doing. So. So, you know, you, you spoke about the book that she found that, that dealt with the cult stuff. And she found out the, the bookstore that sold it to her husband. You know, one of the things that, that jumped off the page to me while she was looking at the book was in red pen. It said trickery with a question mark. So. Her husband was was interested in either he was he was trying to decipher something that could be trickery, or he was trying to find a way to trick something. So uh, that immediately intrigued me in the movie. I'm like, okay, well, like obviously there was a reason that we, the audience, saw that word on the page. Like I'm interested where that's gonna go because out of all the things that could have been written on on the page, the word trickery and a question mark definitely definitely piqued my interest. I was like, okay, I'm I'm on board for this. Yeah, and the fact that they introduced something like that, you know, I wasn't really expecting that to happen. So that, yeah. again, like I said, there's really no top to this thing. It could literally go as high and as far as it wants to go. And it does that. The The longer the movie happens to you, the more that you're invested and the more it brings you into the world and gives you more elements that you have to kind of soak in and understand. And I think, again, it, it, the movie leaves so much up to you with the amb ambiguity and for you to interpret on your own. That That's why I love this movie so much is that there's a lot of unanswered things in this movie, for sure. But it wants you to be thinking about them. And it's definitely a thinking man's horror movie. For sure. But it's still a great scare flick. And, and, and you know, as we as we move on and we get to, you know, her kind of unraveling this thing completely. We see that it's like, dude, there's really two different sides to this movie and how you would interpret it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of layers. How, 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 how literal is it? Like, is it is it exactly what you think it should be? Or is it just a woman dealing with grief loss, paranoia, and she's literally just experiencing these things because we already know that she's had episodes, she's dealt with depression, and she's obviously getting fucking hammered every goddamn night, too. Yeah. You're drinking brandy like that every day. I'm just saying, 
there was there was something I was thinking during the movie when I was like, man, a drunk person's horror flick for sure. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm literally because I'd had like a drink at dinner beforehand and I'd ordered a Miller Lite for the for the movie or whatever. And I'm literally looking at that drink like, is this movie trying to tell me not to drink anymore? <laughs> Am I going to go home and start seeing shit? <laughs> You know what I mean? but uh, Dude, how about that song that they kept playing? Like, obviously, it was an important song to her husband. It was um, their song, man. Do you know song. that song? Because I didn't look it up or anything like I, that. I haven't looked it up, but I fucking like that song. It wasn't like in movies sometimes where they, they keep playing the same song. and then you, Needle drop, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, oh, man, shit. here we go again. Whatever this song was, it's, 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 it's a fucking jam, dude. I was like, yeah, I like that, man. That guy can sing his ass off. So I'm definitely going to figure out what song that was and add it to a playlist. It was good. Hell yeah, dude. And the score was great, too. And as minimalist as it was, I think that's what works for the movie so well is that it doesn't have like it's not memorable, I would say, but it, it works as an underlining presence when it needs to be there. But it's, it, you know, I don't think it had like any super memorable theme or anything like sure. that to it. But but it, but it worked well for the movie. So, it, um, dude, the score, the score did exactly what the score uh, should do it accentuated yeah, exactly. the film and it didn't distract because uh, same as you i couldn't pinpoint you know like there's sometimes that, that that will come in into benefit you know as far as the score like and it follows man jesus christ like what a fucking score that that movie oh, had God. and an iconic score that movie had and i mean it when when that theme hit you felt it to where in this film i think because of the tone and the atmosphere i i really i don't think i was even able to hone in on the score because it was no doing exactly the, abs- what the it was absence supposed yeah to be doing. Yeah, the absence of the of the the score when it it would just because a lot of the movie you're you're just watching Beth, you know, you're just yeah. with her, and that's the most interesting thing about it, and that's why the movie works so well is because Rebecca Hall is such an engaging presence throughout the whole thing that you're interested to see what's going to happen next. There's great surrounding characters, you know, the supporting cast is fantastic. But there, there's really you don't really care that much about anybody else. You know what I mean? No. There's you're not you're not presented another other character where you're really meant to care about them or be that invested. They're just there literally to surround her and her story. Even the Owen character, which I, I wanted to know way more about, he's you you rarely see him, you know, front faced dialogue. Only a couple of times in flashbacks. Yeah, that was one of the best things about this movie. I wanted to bring this up when the movie started is that the movie opens. He's already gone. Yep. He's already passed away. So we don't get like them in the kitchen having coffee. I love you, honey. See you later. I'm going to work. And then he kills himself. The movie opens and it's already and he's, he's right already dead. Yeah. Knee deep in the shit. Like we're already in it, dude. Like, no, we're not even going to give you the happy go lucky fake, you know, I love you, honey shit. It's literally already there. And I love that because that eats even it adds even more of a huge mystery surrounding this guy. Like, who is he? What did he do? He obviously had a very extremely serious issue with wanting to choke out brunette women. Dude, I I, I can't wait to thing. We, until we can get into the spoilers. Because yeah, dude, I've I mean, got some I've got some some shit that I want to talk about, but before before we do that, man, I so there is a presence in the film, right? So you don't yes. know, as the audience, you don't know whether it is it's her deceased husband back from the grave or if it's something else, right? And it kind of teeter-totters on that of like, you know, she initially believes that it's her husband. And this presence 
is almost presenting itself like it's her husband, or maybe it is, right? And just, dude, some of the creepiest imagery with shadows and silhouettes that I've, I think I maybe have ever seen in any film ever. I mean, dude, they, they play on, on the presence perfectly. It's not in your face. It's not this CGI extravaganza. It's just so subtle, and it's so, so fucking creepy, man. But let me, let me know when we can do the spoiler thing. No, man, we're, we're, we're about there. I wanted to say to comment on that, it reminded me of like those old Val Luton movies where, you know, the old black and white movies where he o- always relied on just shadow and, yeah. and darkness. Even like go back to Dean Cundy. I mean, I'm going to probably mention Dean Cundy on every episode in this fucking shit just because, <laughs> you know, the master of the darkness, like really learning to deal with those shadows and the absence of anything. Like there's shots in this movie, Jeremy, where there's nothing in it. There's no score. A camera's just panning around the inside of her house and you're fucking terrified, dude. Yeah. You know, it, it, obviously we're dealing with being alone and understanding where this character is coming from and her viewpoint. You're going to be a little bit off centered and, and scared about shit and uncomfortable. But the way the camera moves and the way that those shadows and the visuals are presented to you are really what makes this movie scary. The jump scares are few and far between when they hit, they destroy you. They fucking take you right out of your chair, but they don't have, they're they're not overdone, man. Subtle is exactly the word. You said it perfectly, but so we're, we're there, man. This is the climax of the movie. Let's fucking jump in, man. Dude. I, I will say that when she finally discovers the presence and it starts coming after her, I straight up did a, in my head, like, if I was by myself in my house, it would have been out loud. But in my head, when that presence was coming after, I sure up did, like, a Billy Madison, Adam, San- <laughs> Adam Sandler. I was like, Because, like, it was terrifying. When she finally observes this shadow, this silhouette, and all of a sudden it turns, and it's, you know, humanistic, and it starts coming towards her. Fucking nightmare fuel, man. But, dude, if we're getting into spoilers, so, again... You're, you're led to believe that either it's her husband beyond the grave that's coming back to her, or it's something else that's pretending to be her husband, right? Right. I'm, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you, you you know, his cell phone starts calling her. She's getting text messages from him. All of a sudden, she looks out the window and sees her dead husband naked standing on top of the water in the lake, right? These are just some of the images and things that are happening to play on her emotions, right? And, dude... <laughs> At, at the end, when it's revealed, you know, there is a straight up like invisible man moment, right? Where she is with this presence and she fully believes that it's her husband. And so she's like, hold me. And you could see this invisible presence start to like embrace her. And she's like, Owen. And then the voice was like, I'm not Owen. Not Owen. Ah! And dude, shows it, dude, it shows her visions. Dude, when it shows her the visions of Owen killing all those women, I swear to God, dude, I literally wanted to be like the quintessential stereotype for a person yelling at the screen in a movie theater. Like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. I was freaking out, dude. Holy shit. I was like. (laughs) So I want to see if like you picked up on things the same way that I did, because a lot of the finale of this movie is very much up to interpretation to a certain extent. So like, okay. So from so now we're full on into spoilers. So here we go. So essentially, her I guess this is what I picked up. Tell me if you pick something else up, Justin. Her husband starts to realize that there is a dark presence around her that is trying to kill her, right? So what does he do? He starts doing investigations into the paranormal and into the occult 
to find out what he could do to stop this presence from killing his wife. That's right. right. In the book, the book, I finally remember what it was called. It was called the Care Droya. That was the name of the book that he had. Yeah. Yes. Yep. You're absolutely right. And dude, even that word is like reading, reading that word was like, ah, that sounds like some witch shit. Care Droya. So anyway, so, so the husband, you know, he built the house they live in, like I said before, from scratch. He designed it, everything. He built it. So then he starts building an exact replica of it across the lake, but he calls it the reverse floor plan, right? So he's building a reverse floor plan version of that house. Essentially, like if you put a mirror in front of the house, that's exactly what he was building, a mirror version. So it's flipped, right? So then the husband starts like picking up these women that look just like his wife and bringing them to that house because from what I picked up was that he was trying to convince the the demon that he was killing his wife and it was keeping the demon at bay from actually killing his real wife. That's what right. I picked up. Is, is that, is that dude, it's exactly what I saw it as the, okay. the whole movie tries to present to you this idea that this Owen character, this mysterious guy that she's been married to is actually this crazy psychopath that likes to brutally murder, like number one, stalk and take crazy voyeuristic photos of women that look like his wife. But it, it is revealed that no. And like you said earlier, when she discusses when she died in the car accident and what she saw was nothing, this presence reveals to her. She understands now that when she died, what she saw, it is this nothing. It, it, it explains that this is what she saw. And he somehow got obsessed with this. And was like, he's really just trying to keep her alive, dude. Yeah, That's so, how I saw it. So this is what I'm picking up on, though. Okay, so when she died, there was this presence in the afterlife. Or in the, yes. no- or in the nothing that followed the nothing, her. Yeah. yeah, that followed her back into the real world and has been with her ever since. So and that's her, I, yeah, some, that's what's been causing her her mental health problems. That's what yeah. I, that's kind of how I, I view yeah. it. So it's it's some type of demonic presence from the afterlife that followed her back into the real world after she died and was resuscitated, and it wants to kill her. I guess this demonic presence wants to kill her and bring her back to the nothing, which is in what you know the thing came out of. And so the husband acknowledges all this stuff, and he I guess he saw the same silhouettes that she later sees and that this thing is always with them. So he, the, the whole reason the word trickery was, was in the book with the question mark is because he was trying to trick the demon. Exactly. And, it was in the book. Yeah. Was trying to trick the demon into believing that he was killing his wife. But like, I don't know, man, like the, the presence from what I saw was like way smarter than that. So like, it would have made more sense to me if, you know, if, the husband was just like sacrificing these women just to keep the demon at bay. Like, Hey man, I'll keep killing women that look just like her if you'll leave her alone. But that wasn't exactly how it was presented. It was like he was trying to trick the demon into thinking he was killing his wife over and over again. I don't know, man, the ending. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot, like I said, and I'll say this for the 15th fucking time during this review, but the movie leaves so much to interpretation. And I think, the only way to actually dissect this and understand is really to go through the whole movie and, and really discuss it and, and, and go into detail. Because if you just watch it at face value, you probably wouldn't even notice all the different things that are there for you to see. Um, but the ending of the movie, I think 
what I heard based on what the audiences were saying with me, where people were like, oh, that was it? I literally heard a girl behind us who was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, did you watch the movie? Yeah. Uh, well, audiences like, audiences want everything spelled out to them now. And I get that. And I'm I'm honestly, like, you've had a couple days to dissect this thing. I'm still, I'm still chewing on this thing and, like, well, I, I won't even lie, though. I would have rather, I would have loved to have talked about it as soon as I left the theater because, dude, I was blown away so fucking, I was so amazed by the movie. I couldn't stop talking about it for, like, half an hour, and I didn't know a single person that had seen it yet because I got to see an advanced screening of the movie. I was like, dude, I need to talk to someone, and, and, and luckily enough for me, my wife went and saw it with me, and liked the movie a lot and was able to, you know, allow me to unleash some of my feelings about it. Cause I was just literally so in awe over what I had seen. It's a smart man's horror movie, yep. but I think, I think it's challenging the genre. And like I said earlier on, dude, it's taking those elements of grief, loss, paranoia, depression, and it's just interjecting them into what is a classic haunted house movie. You know what I mean? So I, I, I to me, the metaphor is there that this nothing is her depression. I'm, I'm feeling like that's what's haunting her. That's r- literally what it is and how mental health can literally destroy lives. I mean, it's, it's literally such a, a big problem right now uh, with so many people in the country, all over the world even. You know, consider COVID and what that did to people. I mean, oh, dude, Jeremy, the, the suicide rate went up extremely high during that period just from people not being able to function like not even knowing what they're supposed to do and and for me this is just a way to present those elements those themes in a in a a classic horror movie but it's way better than that it's way smarter than that I, i wish more people would see it i hope more people see it it's just it's frustrating you know when i go on social media and i'm not seeing everyone I'm yeah. going to see it. I'm like, and under, you know, I understand as well, like you said, advertising, sh- man. Th- th- well, that, and they should have done VOD for people as well. But I mean, sure. th- you know, it's Disney because it's Fox Searchlight. And I, it's so weird for me to see that logo pop up. And it just says Searchlight now because there is no Fox. Oh, shit. So, you're so, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think Fox acquired it before Disney took everything over. So it's technically Disney releasing a horror movie, which that's why, Jeremy, it's not getting shit for promotion because Disney doesn't give a fuck. Sure. So that's that's the bottom line. But I just I wish that, you know, much like conjuring three when you look at your facebook or your twitter or your instagram everyone's posting that they're going to see it i wish that they would be going to see this one but it it is unfortunate it's not a franchise it's not this this will this will sequel it's not a reboot yeah this this will find legs man this will find life people are gonna find this the same way i mean dude the a24 movies you know they they're not the most you know i mean people people hear about them but it's not stuff that you see like you see billboards and and advertisements advertisements but now a24 kind of has that built-in fan base where you know when you get that logo you're getting something that's going to be quality automatically same yeah. thing with ne- with neon too and, yep. and some other you know blumhouse is another one actually that's more left up to interpretation actually <laughs> you never really know i mean yeah. you usually hope for the best and you're like yeah they have more than half of them are, are yeah. really good but so yeah it's true when you see that logo pop up you have expectations and and yeah. you kind of know where you're getting into. I think that audience, and, and like you said, I've never even saw the trailer, but you said the trailer played like an A24 trailer because I feel like this is the kind of setup and film that we would typically get from A24. So I think, I I definitely think that this film is, is going to have life long after 
you know, it, it leaves theaters and, you know, eventually it'll hit VOD and DVD and Blu-ray and all that. Because it's a good film, man. And, you know, us horror fans, like, there's so much content being thrown at us these days. But Which, how great is that, dude, by the it's, way? It's, like, a, literally, it's amazing. Think about that. Like, when I left the theater, I, I, I posted a picture on our Twitter. Dude, two giant subway posters, Malignant and Candyman. Yep. And I'm there to see a new horror movie, right? Yep. And I'm leaving, and I'm seeing two giant subway posters in the, in the like the literally the entrance to this giant theater, and I'm like, how amazing is that as a horror fan that we're seeing these huge horror movies getting yeah. the huge push by studios? Uh, not this one, unfortunately, but even so, so much stuff to look forward to, you know, and that they're getting this push. It's an exciting time, dude. It really yeah. is to be a horror fan. We're getting so much content, and you know. A lot of it is great. Some of it is subpar. Some of it's bad. You know, that that's standard. But, like, there's so much stuff from all the streaming services and independent film studios and major film studios. I mean, we're getting so much content, you know, and horror fans are hungry for it. So this is, you know, this is definitely going to find people because word of mouth will eventually spread like, hey, this this is a really stellar horror well, film. That, and, and hopefully, you know, if you're listening to this episode, we're going to be swaying you. Before we get to trash it or treasure it, I have to ask Jeremy. So the ending, I just yeah. want to know: Did it satisfy your needs, or did it leave you kind of sitting there, like, eh, you know? I, like I said a second ago, man, I, I'm still chewing on it. I think when the movie first ended, I was like, huh. I, I wasn't let down. <laughs> I wasn't let right. down, and I wasn't stoked either. Like I was like, okay, so so me and my wife Anne get in the car, and I'm like, so it was like a demonic presence, or was it? You know, my wife was like, well, maybe it was the devil. And I'm like, you know, or was it a spirit from the afterlife that was haunting them? And, you know, so that part is definitely they don't spell that out for you. It's up for interpretation. You know, your interpretation is is it was her depression that had manifested and, and, and her depression. It's I mean, I, I literally saw it as I like that the entity is the grief. That's the depression. It's her loss. Is it really even there? You know what I mean? Think of it that way. Is is it really even there, dude? Or is this just her going through all this and it's just, her experience you just gave me dealing with it? Yeah. I mean, seriously, dude, we don't even know. This could literally just be her internalizing all of these things. Because, dude, I mean, let's face it, you know, we've both had losses in our lives, right? Sure. We've lost friends. We've lost family members. We've Neither of us have ever lost a spouse, that person you wake up next to every single day, you go to bed next to them every single night, you know, it, I don't know what that feels like, but this movie to me gave me a presentation of what that could possibly feel like for a woman that was dealing with depression already, who loses her husband and thought everything was great. Sure. A, a woman that she's a teacher, dude. They couldn't get any more fucking pure than that. She's not getting paid shit at her job. You know what I mean? You just, they, they took someone that's so pure and so innocent in a lot of ways and they presented these themes and that that's that's how i perceived it as someone that you know we all go through hard times man we've all we've all felt lost but we've also you know depression man some of us just get depressed for no fucking reason and it happens and i think this is that kind of movie for a lot of people that they can see themselves in this character and yeah. it's a very special movie so we, enough enough of that we're we're, we're there we got a trash it or treasure it i think i know where we're both at but jeremy trash it or treasure it man you know if we would have done this interview, you know, right after this podcast, right after I got done watching, I, I think I, I would have been indecisive, man. But the more I think about it and the more I kind of break it down, because this is 
like you said, it's a, it's a thinking man's horror film, right? So this is not something that everything is is spread out for you, and you, you know you take it or leave it. There's so many layers to this that you you break down after the movie is, is long done, right? Um, I'm gonna treasure it, man, because you know initially I was like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna watch that again. Like, I mean, that's kind of one of those movies that it's it's really grim, it's really dark. You know, the the content is you know definitely super sad. So I was like, you know, I just I don't know that I'm ever gonna go back to that. But I can't stop thinking about it, and now you know several hours, is, yeah. several hours after watching it, I'm like, "Fuck, I want to watch this movie again." The next chance I get, so I'm gonna treasure it because if if something is is entertaining and I know that I'm gonna want to watch it again at some point, how could I trash that? That has to be treasure, you know. Of course, 100. And for me, obviously, you, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard what, what I've said during this discussion, this review. I'm treasuring this thing; it's gonna go on my shelf. Now, much like Jeremy just said. He summed it up very well. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to want to be in to watch it again because it is so heavy. The themes are lay on so thick and you really got to be in the right mood. Watching it fresh and not really knowing where it's going is one thing. But when you know what you're in for, per se, it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, it's Friday night. Let's have a great time. Let's watch that movie. You know what I mean? That's That was exactly how I felt about Hereditary, which is another movie I consider a modern horror classic, which I adored, and I think it's a masterpiece. This almost gets to that level as well, but it would not be without Rebecca Hall's literally award-worthy performance. She is absolutely brilliant. I've loved her and everything she's done that I've watched her in, and, and I this is her time to shine in this movie. She was a producer on it, which is also awesome to see, you know, female actors producing the movies. Jamie Lee kind of started to set the standard for that a long time ago. So it's great to see that as well. I'm treasuring this. I'm buying this shit and I loved it. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen, for this Fresh Frights review. Brain stew on Brain stew. Yeah, baby. So we thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to go over to the main Epic Film Guys page, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check that shit out. Jeremy's going to be posting the stuff on his social media as well whenever the episodes drop. Make sure if you like what you're hearing, go over to iTunes, leave us a review. We just got one today, actually, Jeremy. I wanted to read it out in the air. Pretty fucking cool review for the new segment specifically. So... Love the epic film, guys. Super fun, informative horror podcast. I really like their comments and high-energy discussions. Keep up the good work, guys. Obviously, that brain stew name still needs to take off a little bit. People are still confused about it's a separate thing, but it's still under the same banner. But you will get there, ladies and gentlemen. We only have the pilot under our belts, but we want to thank you again so, so much for listening. And I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. And you've listened to a brain stew Fresh Frights review. Praise